If you, Jordi, could leave the audience with one question to expand their mind, what would that question be? Hmm. Okay. The question I would ask is, what is currently killing your curiosity? What's actively killing your curiosity? I'm a firm believer that now we are one click away from pretty much any knowledge in the world. Pretty much everything is on the internet. So the only thing that separates us from having access to that knowledge is having the willingness or the curiosity to go and look it up or Google it up or check it on YouTube. So the question I would end up with is what's currently killing your curiosity? Welcome, guys, community family from Optimizandome or Optimizing Me. My name is JJ Ruescas. I am the host of this show where it's my work to deconstruct the mindset, habits, and routines of very, very interesting people. Our guest today has more than two decades leading digital and cultural transformations at companies in three continents, where he also trained corporate executives in different areas. As a polyglot, he's not only able to speak different languages, but more importantly, to speak the languages spoken between different business teams and to build communication, communication bridges between them. I met this thought leader thanks to the Agile community, but quickly we realized that the common denominator between us goes beyond the strictly professional. He is an expert in strategic advisory, personal productivity, and learning efficiency. And he's also an example of a father. Let me introduce you to my friend, Jordi Falguera. Hello, JJ. Um, glad to be here with you. Jordi, it's my pleasure to have you here in the show. So let's get <laughs> down to business. Who is, Jordi Falguera, who is Jordi Falguera? And what does it mean to be a strategist slash productivity slash learning expert? That, because you have so many titles. <laughs> well, I have I have a lot of interests, and that's that's why I came up with a different title for each of them. Well, Jordi, I'm. It, it sounds weird to me to speak in, about myself in in third person, so I'm going to talk in first person. So, I'm somebody that I'm very curious um, for for many many years. I always wanted to learn new things. I always was uh, very interested in learning what was working, what wasn't working, what was blocking me from doing things in a, in a better way. So that's why uh, when I started working for a company, I started realizing like, wow, I get lots of email. How can I better digest them? How could I better handle them? And that's where personal productivity came into play. Uh, later on, I had to learn more efficiently. And, and as, you, as you mentioned, I was learning multiple languages. So how can I um, acquire this vocabulary in a in a more reliable way, in a better way. And then all this idea of efficiency um, has always been captivating me for, for, for many, many years. And then lately, for, for some years now, I got very interested in strategy. Strategy, if you simplify it, it's basically separating this, uh, the upper part, which is understanding what are we trying to do, why are we trying to do that, what's the ultimate goal that we're trying to get out of it with tactical or tactics, which is more like, okay, how can we better arrange this? How can we combine these two pieces? So um, the way that I see that is Agile uh, in general focuses quite a lot on the tactics. And I wanted to have a broader view because that's what made me think that I could better help executives. Hmm. Jordi, what was the key moment or decisive moment that introduced you into this path? Um, you mean you mean uh, learning faster? You mean strategy? Let's start with Both. this. Let, let's go one at a time because let's let's go ahead. Which one comes first for you? Well, because um, in terms of learning, I've I, I I don't quite remember. I mean, learning languages was something that 
was always a passion for me. And I learned from my parents, like, if you learn languages, you can better communicate with other people and other cultures. And that's something that's cool. Um, when I started realizing, like, wow, I mean, I can try to apply learning in different aspects. It was coming in a very similar time as when I wanted to help executives. That was in 2015. And uh, I moved from my previous job at the time into a job that was more of um, senior advisory and um, agile strategist helping big companies do transformations. And my first gig, my first engagement had to do with how can I talk to the president for 125,000 people, the president for that company, and how can I talk to the board of directors? And what I quickly realized was that, hey, these people, I mean, if you're not adding value, they can dismiss you like in five minutes. So at the same time, I, I also knew that they didn't know as much as I knew about Agile. So I, I had to build enough of conversation and enough of knowledge so that I could last there for more than five, 10 minutes. And then what I realized was it's not good for this level to go with a PowerPoint presentation and say, let me guide you through the slides. Slide one, slide two, slide three, slide four, because they have questions. And when they ask you a specific question, you need to provide the answer right away. You cannot go and say, uh, let me Google that for you. Let me find, there's an excellent book that talks about this. No, no, no. You either give the answer right away or you're not the person to, to be in front of them. So at that moment, I realized that one, I needed to upper my skills in terms of um, communication with not executives, but rather the creme de la creme, like top executives, ex-com, executive committee members. And two, I had to build a strong portfolio of knowledge that would allow me to back it up with knowledge and experience. <laughs> well, um, Angel was, I came into Angel in a very similar way as other people. That was 2009. I was in a, in a company uh, in, in the lottery business. I was a lottery, working for a lottery provider for the end customer. And at that moment, we had to do, you know, those estimations when you are in the software world that you need to estimate, like there's this project, we don't know much about it, how much is it going to cost? And the, the honest answer is, I don't know, but that we need to, to fund this project so that we can budget it and then we can expense it, right? And then at that moment, I was thinking like, you're, you're asking to estimate something that doesn't make sense because it's too early. And um, I, at that moment, I learned about Agile. I got certified as Scrum Master and then I thought like, that's the solution. My, my only problem was that I, I thought that by me understanding that Agile was the solution, then I could easily explain it to everybody and everybody could go in, in the boat. Agile is one of those things that strike you big, uh, real fast. And then you, you believe that it's like, this is mind changing, but watch out, it's mind changing for you. That doesn't mean that others are ready to change or others are willing to change and there may be different stages. So with Agile, I learned that things, especially in the software world, could be done in a different way. Then I got deep into that and then um, I, I volunteered or I signed up for presenting a paper in Orlando back in 2014 and they accepted it. And then lo and behold, I was there sitting in front of 200 people explaining about Agile where my own company at the time, they still didn't believe in it. And then my, my, the honest answer was, okay, so I cannot last here for, for long because I, I wholeheartedly believe in something in, done in a better way than I thought in a better way. And the company still is not, is not ready to go on board. That's a bit crazy. <laughs> it's interesting. To me, it's fascinating to hear your story because it's not only that it is a traditional professional or career driven you have you have intertwined several several elements from within 
careers from within other arts and from from the mm. personal life right mm. yeah that's right um when i was a little kid i was always passionate with computers about computers and and how to program and how to code and how to do all these things and and that's what i studied um i studied computer engineering and then but I also was a social human being and I also wanted to engage with other people and I, I felt good in, in, you know, in this conversation, being nice to people, etc. And then um, when I was uh, looking around uh, along my, my fellow colleagues, um, there were many of them that were coming from the computer world that were feeling more comfortable dealing with a computer than dealing with other human beings. So. Um, Basically, what happened is in, in 2006, I was maybe somebody that was willing to speak up for others and willing to help others grow, etc. And then um, somebody considered that I would be a good fit for supervising that thing. And then from that moment, I realized like I didn't know absolutely anything about how to manage or how to lead people. And then uh, I tried to learn that both from from uh, neuro-linguistic programming, coaching, uh, leadership skills, etc. That, that has to do a lot with soft skills, right? And uh, later on, I just started realizing like, wow, so it's not either or. You can have technical knowledge, but also be nice to people and then complement these two pieces. My biggest concern was, hey, watch out if you're supervising, if you're leading people, but you're not getting up to speed. It might be that you end up in what I call or what is being known in the community as the golden cage. That is when you have a so higher salary than your abilities and then you get stuck to the company where you're working and you don't know that uh, you, you better praise and, and lower your head when, when there's something coming on. Because if they let you go, then you're outdated you're quite over the market. And I was really fearful about that. Back in the day, that's when I was learning that companies in the past were lasting like 65 years in average. And now lately, especially technology companies were in average like 15 years. It's like, wow, so I better get up to speed. and I better sharpen my skills. And that's why I started learning from, from other sources. But it was more of a trying to avoid fear rather than passionately willing to grow. <laughs> <laughs> well, it took you to, to a very interesting path, actually. So mm. we, were, we talked a little bit about the past. Let me get us back to the present. Sure. How does the effective learning or learning efficiently project started? How did it come to life? Which is your brand new project, right? Yeah, that's, that's indeed my way to translate my, I don't know, seven or eight years of learning how to learn into something tangible that people can use. So basically, I was, I was trying to learn better when I was learning languages. That was something that I, I was interested. I also was a very heavy reader. I was reading like two, three books a month. And, uh, uh, one of the mistakes was thinking that by reading something, you know something. So this, this having this confusion between um, understanding something or, or digesting, processing something and actually knowing that something. And then uh, there I was with this long, um, long list of books in the shelf by saying like, I read this, I read this, I read this. But really, um, when, when it was the time to speak about the content from those books. I, I wasn't feeling comfortable. I didn't know about that. The only thing I could do was say, oh, there's an excellent book that talks about this. And then like, okay, thank you. Tell me the reference to the book and then I'll go to read the book. I don't need you anymore. So that wasn't working for executives. And, and then I thought like, I need to own this knowledge. If I don't own it myself, if I cannot learn about it and I cannot use it as part of the conversation. That's exactly the same as only being a librarian and being a, somebody that uh, is a bookkeeper and gives reference to other books. 
and that was in 2015 when I realized I need I need to get up to speed. I need to learn so much better than I'm doing now. I started um, trying to understand learning how to learn. Went through the usual suspects: Barbara Oakley, Robert Bjork, all these type of thought leaders and gurus that talked about uh, learning how to learn, both in Stanford and and the MIT, etc. And then I tried to create my own version. And my own version was, hey, wait a minute. Uh, what's important here is what you're able to own it yourself. And it's better to have little builds, little, um, I call them micro concepts, because then you can combine many of them in order to have your own storytelling. Um, I started by digesting conversations that I had with my uh, with, with the reference, my, my guru that I learned from, one guy called Al Gurner. I, I started by trying to learn about that, asking him if I could record the conversations, then uh, splitting them into smaller chunks, going through the chunks over and over, trying to uh, parrot them, explain them myself, and trying to find second reasoning, third reasoning out of those. And later on, I mean, it was like a tsunami. It was really crazy. I could literally start combining multiple concepts from multiple sources from different um, different scopes and uh, my the, the, the skill that I had at that moment or my level of conversation went up so dramatically that I thought like wow this is a big deal hmm. Hmm. well it made, <laughs> just, it just made me think so many things. She said things about so many things already. It's because you and I share this passion for 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 continuous learning, and That's the way right. that you put it, I think it is it is the the way that you put it with effective learning. I think it is so key because, like you said, many people think that because they are reading books, uh, mm. that's it. But actually, mm. that's a lie, right? So, mm. what is a common mistake that you see? in people that are starting to improve the way that they jump into this one. And, and let me, let me, mm. let me contextualize to, to this, uh, to the audience, because uh, I don't know about you, but I have not heard any person who wakes up one day and says, I, you know, I would like to learn to learn. I have not <laughs> found, found many people that they say that they may say, I would like to read more. I would like to remember yes. more and that's it. Yes. But, Yes. What's in your in your expertise? What you see in other people's mistakes? Hmm. Hmm. That's a good point. I think most people get stuck in this idea that the more you consume, the better. And um, so they read books. There seems to be in in the, the general perception that reading books is better than watching videos. And I think that's quite the contrary. But in general, it's like saying that you read a book, then others at that moment consider you higher on that matter because you read that book. And then my point is, that's nonsense. The only thing that's important is how much can you remember about the book? So um, in, in this 21st century, we are in the knowledge economy. So we are being paid. This I'm being paid, probably you as well. Uh, you're being paid by what you know. You know more about something than you're being paid more. You, you can articulate the, the knowledge that you have in a better way than you're being paid more. So the knowledge economy has to do with um, what knowledge you, you have, you have, you own, and how can you use it. I, I haven't seen many people realizing that uh, reading and watching videos and going to conferences and, and, and listening or watching TED Talks and, and, and doing and doing lots of trainings. But that's irrelevant. The only thing that's relevant is six months down the line, how much can you retain from that? How can you combine that with other existing knowledge? If you're reading, for example, many people say reading is better than watching videos. Why? Because you, you can read slower so that you can think about what you're reading. So it, it's more of an active exercise. Well, when you're watching videos, it's like 
it, it comes to you and it, you might even not pay attention that the video doesn't stop, right? But the thing is when you're reading most of the times, at the most, you're giving one angle, one particular perspective. You're not checking the same from two, three, four, five, six different perspectives. So if you're just checking from one angle, the number of neuronal connections that uh, are connected to that new knowledge is, is, is much lesser than if you think from, from many different angles and you try to, to connect to other pieces and you try to explain it as if it would be to a child and you try to um, merge it with something else or simplify it or, or think in terms of a um, image, how, how would you summarize it? When you start doing that, which is what microconcepts do and, and this learning efficiently does, um, you, you start knowing so much more. And if I would say one mistake is this confusion between consuming and learning or uh, misleading learning with acquiring the knowledge and not paying attention to fixing the knowledge into memory, which is the second definition. Learning is about acquiring knowledge through study or, or uh, experience. And it has a second exception, which is and fixing it to memory. So if it's about fixing it to memory, then we better pay a little bit of attention into how can we fix something into memory, how something is forgotten, and how can we forget less of what we want to remember. Hmm. <laughs> now let's get more tactical. Sure. How does Jordi sits in front of maybe a YouTube player or some sort of video and he has his research, his learning resources? How is right. the learning process for you? What have uh, you discovered okay. that works for you? Okay, what I've discovered is it's okay to just consume information and not trying to learn it. I mean, sometimes I just want to watch a video on blockchain or cryptocurrency or I don't know, uh, natural language processing or machine learning. It doesn't matter. But I have this, this toggle. I can actively decide I want to learn about this or I don't want to learn about this. If I don't want to learn, I just watch the video. It doesn't matter. If I do want to learn about this, because I think it's, it's valuable for me to own that knowledge and uh, down the line, like three months or six months down the line, I might be able to need it for some training or as part of uh, advising these executives, then um, what I'm doing is I'm activating this, this, you know, this, this little man here in, in, in the back of the head, just paying attention to what I'm consuming and thinking like, wow, this is interesting. Every time that I'm thinking this is interesting, I capture it. Now, let me tell you, there are multiple ways where you can consume information. And let me tell you why I think videos and specifically YouTube is the best way to consume information if you want to do this. In general terms, um, reading versus watching videos. Uh, the, the advantage of reading is that you can have this thought process and, and stop and rethink it, etc. While if you're watching videos, it, it goes so much faster. If you stop the video and you say, in this particular moment, minute 14, second 23, they're talking about this particular topic. You capture it the same as if it would be a bookmark. It's just a video mark. If you capture that video mark and you refer it in one way, like what's the definition of blockchain and how does it work? And then you have a link to the video with the minute and the second. That's why YouTube is so powerful because it allows you to create a um, URL with a minute and a second, and it goes exactly to that place. If you can do that, then um, you can have that information. And then you can decide to review it or not. If you don't review it, then it just sits there the same as if you would read the book. You would have your bookmark, you would put it there. That's it. But if you start reviewing it, then you can see that question and say, oh, okay. So I, I have no idea what was the definition of blockchain and how does it work. You click on the link and it takes you right into the video, right into the second when it starts explaining it. When you do that a couple of times, then you start thinking like, okay, so let me try to explain it myself with my own words. And then that's when you start learning, when you're actively trying to 
recall that information from uh, from memory, from long-term memory, instead of just actively uh, listening to it. And then um, later on, if you want to go one step further, is you start asking questions like, and you summarize it, can you talk and teach it to a child? What would be the biggest disadvantage from this piece of knowledge? Uh, how can you simplify it in one, one picture? Um, how can you link it to some other piece of knowledge? These sort of um, perspectives, to me, those are having multiple lenses on the same topic. And the more lenses you have on the topic, the more you own it. And that's when you can talk to an executive and start talking about something that's relevant for them because you are adapting any knowledge by using business words. One of the biggest mistakes that I see in the agile world is we, we get carried away so much with the agile jargon and talk about sprints, story points, and, and scaling, and, and you name it, that um, we lose them. We confuse them. They don't fully understand what we're trying to do. And the only thing they learn is like, wow, this guy must know quite a lot, but I don't understand what he's saying, and I don't, I don't see how he can help me. So I, I, I claim the right to say it's not about how much you know and proving it to your uh, spokesperson. It's much more about helping them address one issue that they have. So in order to do that, same as learning languages, it's better that you use their language and their words rather than using your own jargon. Hmm. How does wow. it sound? <laughs> it, it, it sounds it sounds deep. I will have to digest this one because I never. I, I think I never. Well, we are recording that, so you can. We yeah. are recording that. You can create microconsoles out of it if you want. We will. We will create microconsoles definitely. <laughs> so that's a good point. There you go. Now let's 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 start uh, moving into different perspectives. Let's let's change lenses. Sure. What is some failure or debacle that happened in your life that thanks to this failure, you are in this path of your life? Yeah. I would say the biggest one or the big one was thinking that I could change a 20,000 people company in three to six months. So back in 2013, 2012, 2013, I got so passionate about Agile and I clearly thought like this is the solution for that company without even paying attention to is it the right time for the company to move on? Is it uh, Do we have the right people, etc.? I, I was trying to grow so much in the position. I never cared much about positions, but I, I thought like if I'm like the head of Spain, Portugal and, and, and other countries, then I can direct people reporting to me in one specific point and um, it didn't work so the culture is so much stronger than your unique willingness to make deep changes and then um, in the beginning I thought like they don't get it I need to move I, I need to repeat that repeat that it's not that they don't get it I mean people are in different situations some people are like five years away from retiring and they just like Thanks, but no thanks. Some other like, um, I've been like 15 years doing that the same way and you're coming here and you're willing to change all my ways of working. No, thank you. And and then I went in through a um, sad period and I, I was deeply frustrated. And then I realized like, it's okay if the company doesn't want to change. It, it, it might not even need it be needed for this company to change. The only thing that I know is that it, 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 I wouldn't be fair to myself if I would stay here because I realized this is not what I want for me and I want to change. And that's what made me like move away. I had been there for like almost 10 years, really pleased, you know, company car, um, bonuses, business benefits, all these sort of things. So it, it was not an easy an easy call for me. But uh, uh, something deep inside me told me, you need to make the change because otherwise you will regret it. 
And it's very brave because based on what you said, based on the conditions that you had at that time, that that way of living that for many people would be a dream. You decided to see. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> very comfortable one indeed. Yes. And that also takes me to start asking other types of questions that are related to this one. So, Jordi, what is something that you unlearned in recent years that improved the quality of your life? Wow. Okay. Um, I've been in the company world. I've been an employee for 19 years, almost 20 years since 2001, 2002, I don't remember, but, uh, and, um, in my, in the last company where I worked, I was, um, senior director for Europe and LATAM for this business transformation. And I had to travel a lot by a lot, meaning like in those five years, I was traveling over 1 million kilometers. So that's a lot. I mean, I know that because I was doing the calculations, like, uh, am I, am I getting crazy or uh, there's something really going on here? And, um, what happened was my daughter was born. Um, she was born in 2018 and in the beginning she wouldn't move much. It was just a baby. But at that moment I decided I'm not traveling, um, overseas anymore. I'm not traveling to the Americas, Mexico, Colombia, Chile, etc. So I will stay in in Europe. But um, shortly thereafter, I learned as well that you can still be only in Europe and spend all five days away. So my routine would be one day go to Madrid, one day go to London, one day go to uh, Frankfurt, because I, I had I was participating in, in gigs in projects in, in those three locations. And that, and that wasn't good. And, and my biggest piece to unlearn was, Hey, it's okay not to pursue the career path and start considering other values in your life. So family became important. Time became important. And, um, I decided to leave that company and started freelancing because freelancing was the vehicle that was helping me better adapt to what I wanted in my life after that. So that completely disrupted my, my way of living. And that allowed me to have more time and um, decide how many hours I wanted to work per week. If I wanted to pick up my daughter every day from the daycare center, then I, I would have the luxury to do that. And that took me to, well, I wouldn't say the next level, but that took me to a different perspective, which I also learned, which is this idea of competition. I mean, the way I was seeing the business world was if I, if I had the luxury to speak to these executives, then some others do not have the luxury. So I need to be better skilled, better prepared. So that I'm the one sitting in front of them and having their ears. Now, um, as a freelance, I'm seeing it so much more in terms of, Hey, uh, these are the set of skills that I have. If I can help you in any way, just let me know. I'll be happy to contribute. So more in terms of community and collaboration more than competition. And <laughs> so that helped me reduce my level of stress and, and the level of tension that I had because I don't need to compete with anybody anymore. It's more about uh, just learning to better use my time, my money and my energy for what I consider it's better for me at a particular moment. So it's, it's these two pieces, career plan and competition. Well, that's, I don't that's know if, if it was in if this direction that you were asking. Totally. I mean, the direction that took it is, 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 is deep because a guy from your, from your background, going back to, to the same analogy, what the average person would have done is I have my family and I will mm -hmm. keep working because my career is more important when sometimes mm -hmm. we don't realize that 
mm. that our family is competing to get our attention and those That's years right. time that passes by is never gonna come back yeah and and also i have many friends that during this pandemic they struggled with their partners and uh some of them uh decided to to separate themselves or divorce from from the partner and my my thought process now is wait a minute i mean if i have some savings what is better that i don't work for three months considering that i have the ability to to have a new client when i when i decide to do so it's, i i i acknowledge not everybody has that that ability but is it better that i i stop for three months and then address that and or or, or paying more attention to what my family needs or is it more like I'm doing more of that, more of that, more of that. And then the consequence is then at some point you turn around and then there's nobody there. I, I have friends that are partners in KPMG, um, Deloitte, you know, the big four. That Yes, that, I mean, it's a big deal to become a partner there. But watch out. What is it that you're losing? Because if you're a partner, I mean, I, I'm not sure if I was in a partner position. I certainly had to a ton of responsibility in, in that respect. And when there's a new project, I don't know, in Malaysia, you probably need to go to Malaysia. I still remember one time that I was requested to go to defend a proposal in New York. And um, they paid for my flight uh, to New York and back to Barcelona. And the duration for that defense was one hour. So they paid me well, two flights plus um, hotel night for one hour where it was not only me, it was like five of us participating. So I was jokingly thinking like, how much are they paying for each of the words that I'm saying there? But um, this, is a, this is a hilarious way to put it. But uh, honestly, you, you, you only have this amount of energy. And many people say that when, when we get older, when we are about 50, 65 and retiring and all that, like if I only had more time with my family and friends. Um, some months ago, I was advising one business owner for a medium, medium company here in Spain. And uh, I was telling her, like, I, I want to spend more time with my daughter. And she said, I envy you because you have, you have this clear now. I just realized it when my daughter, when, when my when my children went into 13, 14, and they, they didn't want to pay attention to me anymore. So this is, I mean, some moments in, in, in life, they just go by. And if you're not there, they don't come back. And I'm sorry, I mean, this is getting deeper and deeper. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that that's, that's what made me change. And something that I admire, respect, and love from me, from you, Jordi, is that in your LinkedIn you have this title of "Spending Time with My Family and Projects." Period. That's part of your recipe. That's part of your curriculum, yes. right? Yes. And I'm and, I'm very proud of that. I mean, I, I I wouldn't want to disguise it like during the six months I was learning. No, no, no. That's what I was doing. I was spending time with my family. And if you're if you are in recruitment and if you're one of those people that think like you had a hole in your resume, therefore, if you're not able to justify, you were not doing anything. I don't want to hire you. That's good because I wouldn't want to be in a company that is, is having this, this set of restrictions. So that's okay. And man, and during that time, actually, you, you keep doing it, right? That's, a, that's, that's from that moment on to the present since about your kid was born. And what right. you are gaining there is expertise in how to lead a family, which later it translates and vice versa. So what are some concepts that you can say that from your career impacted positively your family and vice versa? Well, um, in, in my career, something that was always important for me was, was this idea of managing time and, um, managing tasks and when that switches to especially this this new situation that i have in the family well new it, it's been three years already so my daughter is three years now 
but but it helps a great deal to have a better understanding of uh, everything that needs to be done so that the family doesn't suffer. So that's the that's the easy one. How control of time, control of um, tasks. But another one, um, <clears throat> well, this was it was uh, consistently and and repeatedly uh, feeding back from one to the other. It's this idea of uh, emotion control. That there's there's a lot being said lately about soft skills and 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 the ability to be present and all that. So in the beginning, I I, I only had my my girlfriend, now wife, I didn't have to pay much attention to company because I was just an employee, just following orders. But I had to um, get better at um, emotion control and anger and frustration and all that. So that would pay off, pay off big time when uh, I learned to do that with my family. And then later on, it would come to the business world. So in the business world, Slowly but but uh, strongly, this is this is moving more into really acknowledging that uh, it's about people dealing with people. So this this long days, uh, long time is the day where uh, where we were being considered as machines, and you just need to fit in here and just do what you're being told, etc. So now we we acknowledge that we have emotions and, and dealing with other people. I mean, there was a Google search lately that said, like, what are the top five skills that uh, are being searched in, in new position? And one of them was, um, how do you interact with others? And how can you engage with others? And how can you collaborate with others? I mean, projects are becoming bigger and bigger. And it's very difficult to work in a company and not having to interact with others unless you're isolated in one department, etc. So if you need to engage with others, then intrinsically, you need to deal with frustration, you need to deal with communication, how you say things, what type of things do you say. One of the, that, that's something that I typically say for executives, one of the biggest learnings and skills that I have is something called assertiveness, which is the ability to express what I think without hurting the other by carefully choosing the words that I'm, that I'm uh, leveraging each time so not just saying i i disagree with that so it's more like oh that's an interesting point of view i have a slightly different one is that okay if i just share it with you and then we find synergies between those that's exactly the same first you acknowledge um the the content that the other person shared with you because many people confuse um the content that they're sharing so the their opinion with their self-worth so being knowledgeable about that and just acknowledging that it's okay to have an opinion and it's okay to have a different opinion and then discuss about the opinions, that's that's very powerful. So that's something that I learned also in the family world that I trans- translated into the business. Hmm. Cross-pollination, in other words. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> in, in a certain way, in a certain way, that's... That's a probably a not very, very known word, uh, word uh, for most of people. But uh, but yeah. What is cross-pollination? Your word. What does it mean in your oh, world? All right, in my world. So um, that's a, that's a word that I, I heard from from a friend of mine, and I thought like that's a really neat word. But it, now we're coming back to this idea of learning efficiently and having s- small pieces of knowledge and combining different pieces of knowledge to have a stronger message and, and to have a stronger storytelling. Um, well, the idea is if you start looking into those, there are many pieces of knowledge from completely unrelated um, scopes and sectors that that are related, that you can combine. And then what, what, I'm, what I'm calling that is Combining something from from this sector in, in something from from that scope that has nothing to do. I don't know. It might be like sports and agile and uh, and creativity and entrepreneurship and I don't know machine learning. So if you can combine sports and machine learning, 
then your, your understanding is not like shallow, it's deep. And the deeper your understanding is, the deeper you can come up with easy examples. You know, you, you, you see somebody that really, they know their craft when they can explain anything like they would explain it to a 10 year old. As a matter of fact, there's a, there's a technique for, for teaching and learning that's called the Feynman technique, which is based all around that, teaching it to a child, review, organize and simplify and then communicate. So cross-pollination is this idea of leveraging something from one scope into a completely unrelated scope and still uh, being able to manage that content, which is also a source for creativity. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and James Aldicher talks about, about that combination of ideas. I remember it. Mm. Reinvent yourself. Now, right. Jordi, who, where, or currently are your mentors, whether in-person mentors or mm. people that, that, like Charlie Munger would say, uh, make friends with the imminent death? You told me that one. You recall. Yes. So yes. what about your mentors? That's, that's one of the mental models from him. Yeah. Um, I had a very, very strong mentor and that was the person that hired me back in 2014 when I was in, in Orlando and that person is Al Gurner. He unfortunately retired, um, I don't know, maybe some months ago and I last spoke to him like back in October, November. He is somebody that, um, had four degrees, I don't know, mathematics, computer, um, psychology, and, and something else. And he always said, like, from all those four, psychology was the best one for me. So he's somebody well-known in, in the Agile community that um, was able to understand that um, it's, it's as important knowing something as it is being able to share that with other people. So it's not about what you know, but what you're able to share. And he was able to explain everything in such an easy, relaxed way, making you feel like welcome into the conversation. That when I when I started seeing like, you know, presidents from companies, I mean, in Spain, I, I, I was happy to, to and, and, and honored to meet several presidents from, from Ibex 35, from, from, from the 35 biggest companies. And he was talking to them in such a nice and, and, and warm way. And those people started taking notes. And I was thinking like, that's crazy. I mean, this, that's the president of, like, I don't know, 100,000 people company. I don't know how many billion uh, company. And that person is taking notes and, and my mentor is explaining it this way. So I thought, like, I want to learn how he does that. I, I've always been a firm believer that most people, if you if you get really deep into that, you can you can learn most type of skills. So I thought, like, I want to learn how he does that. I even uh, have a recording with him. It's like Al. Uh, his name is Al Gurner. How do you do that? I, and, and he synthesized me uh, to me and like half an hour, like when people talk, I smile at them. I'm being nice and relaxed when they finish. So he was explaining me step by step what he was doing. And I thought like, wow, that's the best in the world. So that's, that's by far, by far the best mentor that I had. And then other than that, I, I tend to think more in terms of uh, mentor depending on of the contents and on or the situation. And then I, I get that from from uh, videos uh, and books, etc. But I mean, in-person mentor, somebody that I learned so much and I had the luxury to be so close to him, that, that would be him. Hmm. Thank you. I didn't know the name of your mentor. Now I know it. I'm going to go Google <laughs> sure. him. I'm going to go Google him for yes. sure. <laughs> now let's talk about sure, absolutely. That, that, Great. Let's talk about something that causes friction sometimes with with some people, and this is something that you actually taught me. And uh, mm. it it was it, let's let's let me let me introduce the topic in this way. You told me once that you don't read books anymore, right? Right. That you're against that. Mm -hmm. So why mm -hmm. is that the reason? You already explained part of it, but 
let's let's mm-hmm. let's get uh, interesting okay. in stuff. Okay. <laughs> so that's that's basically a headline, right? So it's not that I don't read books. It, it's that um, I try to stay away from non-fiction books when I don't need to have a so deep knowledge that I need to go through the entire book. This is this is my point. Just imagine you you want to learn about something specific. In my case, a couple of years ago, it was strategy. But it can be, I don't know, machine learning. It can be artificial intelligence. Anything you you name it. What do you typically do? Well, most people, if they if they need to learn about that, they, they just go to Google and they look at what's the best book about that, and they they read the book. They don't do anything. They, don't, they usually don't take notes, or they just highlight stuff, or they highlight it in Kindle, but they don't do anything with that. So they finish it. And they fluently receive the information, which, as we agreed before, or as I shared before, that's not enough to have a deep understanding. They might create a mind map, but they don't. They don't go through it. They don't rehearse it, etc. So that's good. So you have one perspective from one of those ten books. What's the problem with that? Well, for anybody that has been writing a book. Well, there are some pieces that are more relevant, some pieces that are less, less relevant. Uh, you mentioned Charlie Munger before. He has a very nice uh, mental model called signal versus noise. It's this idea that uh, there are some pieces of knowledge that are really, really important and some others that like not so much. You can you can also relate to the Pareto principles, the 28 rule. So what I, what I was thinking was, hey, wait a minute. Um, this guy or this girl have a 300-page book, what would be the summary of that book if I if I would have like 15 minutes for that? And lo and behold, there's the same author going to a TED Talk and giving you the summary himself or going to a Google Talk or Harvard Business Review. There are tons of people like reading the book and summarizing it for yourself with those very nice sketches of, of drawings that are explaining these this little pieces. So, my assumption, my hypothesis is, if you go through the entire book, you will not get so much more than I would get if I watch, digest, own, and rehearse these 15-minute videos. Now, what's the difference? You spend, if you have a book like 300, uh, 400 uh, pages, that usually takes between six and eight hours. Man, there are so many hours. There are many other things you can do in those six to eight hours. This is what I do. I go through uh, Google and I have a list of, okay, what are the 10 best books related to, I don't know, any topic. Then um, instead of going and buying one of them, I go uh, select all of them and look at the authors and then go to look for the summary for each of them in YouTube. Because YouTube gives me this ability of clicking a link and going to that um, video, to that minute and that second. And then what I do is I create a list of all the videos that I consider interesting based on the 10 best books that Amazon or Barnes & Noble consider uh, related to that topic. And then I digest them, I micro-conceptualize them, which is what we explained before. I go through the video, and when there's something interesting, I say, that's an important point. This minute, this second, let me capture that, let me put this bookmark there. And then uh, I do that for maybe three, four hours. And during these three, four hours of videos, I came up with, I don't know, maybe... 70 to 100 concepts. Then I have two extra hours to go through the concepts with the difference that when you are reading, you need to stop everything else. Just dedicate yourself to reading. You need to be in silence. You cannot have people around you, etc. If you have these little pieces of knowledge, you can learn them at any time uh, because it's like 15 
seconds of attention. So I spent the last two hours paying attention to those, learning them, uh, giving this second, third thought into how do I combine these multiple pieces. And then by the end of the six hours that you would spend reading that book, I have 70 to 100 pieces of knowledge that I know, that I can explain, that I can combine, that I can literally use at will. And my take is that's by far so, so much more powerful. I even came up with a formula that um, that um, that I called, uh, how did I call uh, Learning efficiency. Learning efficiency formula is depending on how many hours, how much time that you spend, how many pieces of knowledge do you actually know that you can use as part of a conversation. If you read the book, I can tell you, you end up with five to 10. If you do this and then you rehearse, you end up with, I don't know, a hundred. Then uh, this technique is tenfold, 1000% more effective than just reading a book. That is the reason why you're a productivity <laughs> expert. <laughs> and, also, uh, <laughs> and that's one of the reasons that you use your productivity expertise into applied into learning, right? So I want to thank to thank you because actually, since I started following what you what you said, that saved me so much time. And actually, I, it was this was such a funny and a short story. I was I first that I had to deal with the belief that I had to read from cover to cover. No, JJ, you have to finish yes. everything, even, even the appendix and yes. the, <laughs> and yes. the yes. bibliography. Yes. Because right? otherwise you, so, cannot, you cannot check it off. Yes. Correct. Yes. You cannot check it off. And one day I said, okay, this is a very famous book. I will not read it cover to cover. I did not even start. So I, I did what you said. And it was great because I was getting all the information and I was listening um, an interview with the author 10 years after the, mm. the publication of the book. And the author mm. said, you know, at that time, I regret about publishing this and this and that because nowadays the, my ideas have changed and now these are yes. the new ideas. I said, yes. thank yes. you, Jordi. You saved me so much time. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome. And also there's another interesting thing about books. At least it happened to me when I was a very happy reader. Uh, it's this idea of... Um, we usually don't tend to read more than one book on one particular topic. So, and many, many times we do not want to parallelize books. So we just sweet sequence them. Uh, we, we can have in Agile, we called about WIP, work in progress. How many books do you read in parallel? Non-fiction books I'm talking. And then usually it's like one or two. Now the problem is you start reading something, you're interested in that, but your interest changes or there's something that's also interesting. But the book is like 300 pages and then it's going to take you like still three three more hours. And then you have the next one waiting down the line. You want to read it. And then it's like, oh, but I cannot read it because I've been learning that I need to learn. I need to read it cover to cover. But that doesn't work. And then you rush it. You don't learn anything just to start reading the next one. Now, instead of that, with videos, with micro-concepts. At the moment, I don't know, I have like more than 3,000 micro-concepts and more than 200 micro-concepts on strategy. I can practice them at any time. I can, I, in terms of habits, I, I have a habit that every time that I unblock my phone, it immediately opens up with a question like, okay, so what's the perspective on strategy from, I don't know, Michael Porter? And then, I try to regurgitate that or I try to think that. Or how would you combine this um, strategy with something else? And that's every time I unlock the phone. I unlock the phone between 50 and 70 times a day. Yeah, you tell me how many people learn that amount of time. Because you, you I don't need to spend any second like in a condensed environment and, and, and well-thought environment. I just go with the flow. And that's part of my day-to-day. -day. Now, talking about day-to-day -day and about habits, what are the habits or routines that you will not miss a single day that make you a better version of yourself? <laughs> um, 
Okay, I don't think in terms of habits is something I don't want to miss on, on a day-to-day, but more of a contextualized um, action that I want to give. Uh, and there's a great book, and we could spend a lot of time into that, uh, that I I did read. It's one of the latest books that I read, that I read. But oh, I also watched several videos, which is from one guy called James Clear and his book, Atomic Habits, right? But... Um, there are many things in terms of habits that I've been paying attention. I even created a program called Lifestyle Redesign Program, which was a way to, for many people, lose weight, exercise more. You know, the usual suspects that people want to follow follow through and they don't work. So I was going through all of them and identifying what would be the smallest habit that I can put in here and try to rehearse that. And... Um, for example, two habits that I don't miss if we talk about losing weight or being healthy. I always carry with me mouthwash. Mouthwash, uh, which is this this thing that you take after having lunch or dinner, etc. Why? Because I'm I'm somehow addicted to chocolate. And um, it's so easy for me to, uh, I, I don't know, in the middle of the afternoon or evening, just go anywhere and, and buy some donuts and, and, and something like this. But if I have the mouthwash, then my mouth tastes like mint, and I, I I don't like that. The other thing that I carry is is um, a dark chocolate. I mean, this dark chocolate that doesn't have that much sugar in it, and it's and then if I if I ever want to eat something that's definitely not healthy, then I have one of those and it's like, at least it, it balances off a little bit. But um, in terms of learning, having this idea of um, extracting the knowledge, putting it in, into my learning system, uh, making it part of my day-to-day, every time that I unblock the phone, that's, that's really helpful. When I'm watching a new video, when I'm trying something new, then... Um, moving that into the learning system. And now one very powerful habit that I'm that I'm using more and more lately is thinking in terms of, do I really need to do this? Um, I'm, I'm getting up to speed with learning how, how to work as a freelance. But one of the things that I'm learning is uh, time is limited. And there are some things that I'm very good at and very well paid. Some other things that's like average and they're not paid at all. Like, I don't know, video editing, things like this. And some things that I'm really crappy at. And, and in the past, I used to think like, if I, if I put myself into it, I can learn about anything. I can be good at everything. Well, I don't think so anymore. I, I just think about more about what are my talents and can I really exploit, can I really master those talents? And all those things that I'm not that talented, that would be okay if I outsource them. So one habit that I'm having more and more is this idea of, wow, so this is what it, that needs to be done. Do I have to do it myself or can I, can I outsource it? And if I, if I can outsource it and the amount that I'll be paying to somebody for doing something is lower than the amount that I would get for my, the same amount of time, then I, I outsource it more and more. And that's really bringing me to the next level. Because otherwise, as a freelance, as a solopreneur, there's there's only this much that you can do. Wow, let's go finishing this. Again, this I don't know if that's a habit. It, it, it is, yeah, because that, that helps you to make the decision at some point. So definitely it's a useful habit right. for the audience. Right. And I will also experiment with it, by the way, and I'll let you know how that works. Now, Jordan, sure. where can Let me know. I, I can give you the referrals. Great. <laughs> Bring it oh, sure. <laughs> um, okay. Well, it, very easily, people can find me on, on LinkedIn at the moment. Um, my, my email address is jordi.falguera at gmail.com. So I reply to all the emails. And in, a, in, in stealth mode, I just created, um, but month back or a couple of months back, one new channel in YouTube called Learning Efficiently. And then I uploaded like three or four videos and I'm, I'm, I'm learning how to outsource that video editing and 
and that, but later I'll be posting more and more and publishing more and more videos related to learning there. But basically LinkedIn at uh, Jordi Falguera. Nice. Thank you, Jordan. It's going to be fascinating to see how you learn to get into the, the, the realm of, of freelancing with all of these techniques. Later, we're going to come back to, to ask further questions or lessons. <laughs> sure. I'll be glad to, to be here. And, and thanks so much for inviting me. It's, it's, it's a pleasure for me. And as, as you said, we, we knew each other, I would say, almost, almost one year ago. We started talking about some event in Texas, and and that was really good. But then I we quickly realized, like, wow, I mean, this other person, uh, I, I can tell about yourself, like, he's interested in something more than just DevOps at the moment. And so it, it, yeah. thanks for inviting me, and, and I'm glad to be here with you. Thank you, Jordi. Now, just to finish, if you, Jordi, could leave the audience with one question to expand their mind, what would that question be? Hmm. Okay. The question I would ask is what is currently killing your curiosity? What's actively killing your curiosity? I'm a firm believer that now we are one click away from pretty much any knowledge in the world. Pretty much everything is on the internet. So the only thing that separates us from having access to that knowledge is having the willingness or the curiosity to go and look it up or Google it up or check it on YouTube. So the question I would end up with is what's currently killing your curiosity? Nice. Thank you. We're going to end up in a high note there, Jordi. <laughs> and... Uh... Thank you so much one more time. And to the community, if you guys enjoyed this conversation with Jordi Falguera, please give it a thumbs up and subscribe to receive notifications of upcoming events. That's all for today, and we'll meet up soon. See you guys.